0: So like I said, we are in Christmas at Covenant. It's a warm, fuzzy time around here. Everybody's getting into the spirit of the season. Some of you are a little bit jaded and you're angry that we just got through Thanksgiving and we're already decorated for Christmas. And what's it going to be next year? Are they going to start in October? And we'll say, dare us, we'll try. What we're going to do this uh, coming month for the next next four Sundays and, and then five weeks, if you include Christmas Eve as one of those, is we're going to just dig into the Christmas story. And every year, it's it's sort of a challenge as a preacher. We talk about this around Easter. We talk around Christmas, where you go, it's the familiar story. So, how do we take a different look at a familiar story? How do we get a different glance at something that, for a lot of people, has become really familiar? So, we're going to start this season just there with a familiar story, familiar passage. What we're going to see is Joseph has a dream, and in that, Jesus uh, is named. And we're going to see that uh, he's named Jesus which means rescuer or deliverer, as a a nod to the Old Testament passage that says he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so we're going to talk about God with us for uh, the whole day. This is all we're doing today. We're going to take these three words and we're going to look at each of them individually and see what, what are we really supposed to see when we hear this idea of Emmanuel. When we think of God with us through the Christmas season, how should that hit us and what should we do with that? And so uh, what we're going to find out is that each of those words has a a profound meaning in the concept of Emmanuel, and then we're also going to find out that it is upon us to, as the song says, prepare him room. And so uh, if you would, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1. We're going to put it up on the screen. You can read along with me. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph... Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, she is pregnant, they're not married, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he quotes uh, Isaiah 7, "Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means "God with us." When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, she remained a virgin. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So like I said, they've named him Jesus, Yeshua, to deliver or rescue. They've given him a name that that signifies, as the angel says, what he's here to do. And it points to this idea that this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, that the Messiah will come, Emmanuel, God with us. And so Joseph, in this dream, has been given a clear indication that that the the child that his future wife carries— that this child is going to be the savior that's been promised for century after century. It has to be a really overwhelming thought. And so we start by focusing on the first part of this, that Joseph is having to deal with the idea that this is going to not be Emmanuel, God with us, but this is going to be God, God with us. And so we start there, and, and what we see, if we look at this even as it is today, you say this is the first biblical claim that Jesus is God. If you open your New Testament and you just start reading, there's a genealogy, and then this is the first time that you see that Jesus is pointed to as clearly being God. And as you continue to read through the book of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, what you see is that over and over and over again, that claim is made. see, it's not a compelling issue that Jesus claimed to be God, that he was claimed to be the king or the savior. That's not actually all that compelling. What was compelling is that first century Jews believed him and followed him. You see, he started with family and close friends who are, if you are honest, the last people who would ever believe you if you claim to be God. You might convince people who don't know you very well, you convince people on social media that you have the perfect life, but it's the people who actually know you best who know better than to think you're all that great. It's easy to have a a polished public image. But but if you ask the people who live in your home, or my home, they might be able to better point out flaws and shortcomings and, and reasons that I might not be the Savior. I show up every Sunday morning at about the same time, 5.15, 5.30, I get here, I have exactly the same amount of caffeine. I don't eat on Sunday morning, so I never want any tummy troubles. That would not be good for anybody. I have a, a vitamin that has caffeine in it at about 5.15 before I leave, and then I get here and I go through my sermon one last time for the week and, and then I drink this, some sort of potion that has a little bit, by the time I get through well, that drink, about, about 840, I've had 240 milligrams of caffeine, I've had no food, I'm well hydrated I'm ready to go, let's get ready so that I might present my best, most polished self to you so that I might I may never have uh, indigestion or I didn't eat the wrong thing or well, were those eggs bad? I don't know. I never have any of that. I, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm energetic, let's go some of you are going, that's why he talks so fast. <laughs> I got a lot to say, <laughs> but you get me on Sunday morning. I'm intentionally this way on Sunday morning. You don't get me Thursday morning coming off the treadmill at 6 45, grunting and blindly fumbling through uh, the end of my work week, getting kids ready for school. Who's going to take him? You take him. I got a meeting. You have a meeting. When did you get a meeting? You, you don't see me then. It might be different. And so the question is the Do the claims that I make about my character or my lifestyle on Sunday, do they check out with the people who live with me Monday through Saturday? And I I hope, hopefully I'm I'm honest and vulnerable enough that you don't have any preconception that I'm perfect. Um, Far from that. At times you probably wish I was a little closer, and that's okay. But for any of us, who we claim to be one day has to be checked with those who know us and love us the other days because... That's where the integrity comes in, that's where reality comes in, and that's when we talk about Jesus claiming to be God. These are the people who lived and walked with him daily. They heard him claim to be God, and while that sounded insane to them, having lived with him, they decided that all of the other alternatives were more insane, that Jesus is God. He has to be. This creates the challenge of christianity the greatest challenge for people to, to follow jesus to become christians the greatest intellectual challenge is the exclusivity of this faith jesus says i am the only one and people say that's too narrow that's close-minded that's uncaring it can't just be one way what about people who believe something else every other major world religion would say that you have to follow some steps cobble some mantras together adopt a few philosophies, work to be better. Follow our founder's teaching, follow our moral code. And Christianity is unique in that Jesus says, no, it's only me, that there is no other way. It's just me. Jesus is saying that you were so sick, you were really so dead in your sins that, that only I can save you through my life and my substitutionary death and resurrection, that I am the only way. That I alone give you life. And, and so others will say, gosh, that's so exclusive though. Think about it this way. Say you had a health issue. and You'd been to multiple doctors and they all told you the same thing. You're feeling worse and worse every day. You're going, look, doc, I'm going downhill. Something is really wrong. And as your health continues to decline, every doctor you find says the same thing. You know what? You just need more fluids and more rest just more fluids and rest and you say I've been doing fluids and rest I'm still going down something's not working and you find a, a fifth doctor you finally come to somebody else and they go hey listen they're wrong you're terminal and unless you take this certain medicine you're a goner is the last doctor narrow minded not if they're right if they're right then they just have the right diagnosis for what's wrong and they may be crazy unless they're right. They may be a liar, unless they're right. They may be mistaken, unless they're right. And if they're right, they're no longer narrow-minded or exclusive, they're just right. It's a new diagnosis, and that's what Jesus shows up with. Jesus arrives as a new diagnosis for humanity. Jesus arrives as a new diagnosis for a terminal world, where all of the religion and all of the steps and all the morality, it was all leading to the same fate, which was death. And Jesus shows up to say, you don't need a religion or a moral code or a great teacher. What you need is me because I have the one thing you do not have, which is life. Jesus shows up to take our penalty, to rise in power and deposit life back in us. And so if this claim is true, this idea that Jesus is God, which was made in the very first pages of the New Testament and continues on throughout if this claim is true, then all of Christianity all of a sudden becomes plausible, becomes possible. And we better pay attention. If it's false, then all of this is wasted time in the trees and the, the thing and the feel good and the whatever. It's just emotionalism. If if Jesus isn't God, none of this matters. But if he is, we better pay attention. People who walked with him, people who knew him best, people who lived with him gave eyewitness testimony. And the willingness of hundreds of people who were respected in their culture and put their reputations on the line to back the idea that Jesus was truly the Messiah speaks to the clarity of his commands, the clarity of his call, and the clarity of his claim. Christmas is the beginning of the story that ended with people giving their lives to tell the world that Jesus lived and died and rose, that people were martyred and beheaded and stoned and willingly went that direction so that others might know that Jesus, this person they lived with, was God with us. If that's real, then Christmas is our annual invitation to reckon with the reality that Jesus was God with us. And it's not just a season for caroling while that's fun, and it's not just a season for the radio stations to start playing all the old favorites. It's not just for giving gifts to others, although that's a sweet thing to do. It is our annual invitation to reckon with reality again. It's God with us. Which takes us to our second point. He's God with us. Not only is Jesus God, but Jesus is God with us. A few years ago, my wife and I were vacationing in New York City, I made the decision to go and and see Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor. I'll put him on the screen here. You can get a peek at him in all of his glory. He's a pastor, a writer, um, preacher, um, sort of a celebrity in the Christian world, if there's such a thing. Uh, He has a really remarkable way of opening up scriptures and making uh, things come alive. And, And for me, anyway, was just wildly important in the kind of growth and maturation of the way I saw Uh, the scripture the way i saw faith and so he is a preacher in uh, he had a church in new york city we said hey we're gonna just go see him and there's three campuses and they purposely don't tell you where he's gonna be and they're not gonna give it away because they don't want people to follow him they want them to go to a church and i'm like good for them i'm not buying that so i found the website i got a hold of somebody who got a hold of somebody who connected me with somebody and i said listen I won't tell anybody, this is not a big, I'm just, I'm going to be there for one day, don't let me go to the wrong one. And he goes, okay, he's going to be at this place here and this place there. And we found out that we had Sunday evening free, and he was going to be at their downtown campus Sunday evening to preach. And I said, that's where we're going to be. This is not an easy place to get to, I mean, nothing is really all that easy, but subways are under construction, and Sunday evening is when they do the most of these kind of things. And so the downtown 14th Street Salvation Army is where uh, this campus was. It's the evening, it's dark, the subway tunnels, just to get... Um, to the place and back. It was like two miles of tunnels because a couple stations were closed. Big hassle. I didn't care. I was excited. I was going to go see one of my heroes. I took him a present. I'm not proud of this, to be honest. I'd followed him on Twitter long enough and read a couple Q&As he did and I knew that he loved a certain brand of hot tea and he really didn't like Broccoli. So I took him with some hot tea and a book about how bad broccoli is. Why did I do that? I don't know, but I did that. I just felt I couldn't show up with nothing. I had to bring a gift. I mean, it's golden and frankincense and myrrh. I was going to give him something. So the time came. I have my little package that I've taken in my luggage and it's kind of crumpled, but it, I know what's in there and I'm, I'm super embarrassed that I have it, but I got to bring it anyway. He preaches. I'm just mesmerized because he's sort of... Uh, professorial in, in the best way, but, but you, you hear him and he sounds a little dry and he's a little bit straightforward and he's a little bit kind of teachy. And in person, he was like the lead singer of Aerosmith. He had a... <laughs> heart beating. He, he had a microphone and he had it on the stand and he would lean forward with the stand and I was waiting for him to like pick it up and like do an air guitar thing. And he never did that, but he was like this kind of rock star. He was so much more charismatic than I thought he would be and I was just kind of in awe. And the time came, the church service ends, we're sitting in the front row because we got there four hours early and I was waiting. (laughs) Security team had me covered. And he stands up and everybody stands up and you're dismissed. And I had found the the campus pastor that that gave me the the clue that he was going to be there and I just sort of slinked over to him and I said, "Uh, can you give this to Pastor Tim, whenever you get a chance, we're going to go. Like when the time came to approach him, I just couldn't do it. It, it felt like wrong or it felt I just, I, I, he, like he was somehow unapproachable. I, I sort of had this feeling like, who am I? How embarrassing is my gift? And I don't want to bother him. What if he thinks I'm weird? Or what if I meet him and he's just normal and then I can't worship him anymore? So I handed my thing to this guy and I just sort of slinked away, which was for me a really interesting moment because we kind of built this whole thing up and and my wife was like, are you sure? I mean, we can, we just go up there. He's like a person. And I was like, I think think we should just go. In Exodus 33 and 34, uh, Moses is leading God's people and I kind of felt like this was my Moses moment. He says, God, show me your glory. And God's like, I don't think you can quite handle it. And so God allows Moses to see his back. And even seeing his back, Moses was shining and radiant, so much so that he had to wear a veil because he was freaking out the other Israelites because of what he'd seen. He just saw like a glimpse of God's back. But God at that moment was still unapproachable. It was kind of terrifying. And so Moses was hidden in the cleft of a rock to avoid being exposed to the fullness of God. And I kind of felt like I had that moment where somehow I was just, it was terrifying. And I still went home radiant and people asked me about him and I'm still telling, I mean, I'm telling you right now, he's lead singer of a rock star. He's incredible. It was so great. But there was some disconnect. It was just sort of unapproachable. And Moses had this experience with God where he wanted nothing more than to to know God and to see his face. And then in the moment, he he barely could glance his back and was blown away by the brilliance. Which brings me to the concept that what if Moses heard the Christmas story? Imagine if Moses could read in, in John chapter one, and the word became flesh. The word was Jesus who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at father's side. And he has made him known. Moses would be, if you told Moses the story that, hey, Moses, you're the one who brought God's law. Someone is coming greater with grace and truth God in human form, and not only will we be in his presence, but you will be able to see him, approach him, come to him. He'll be with us. And Moses would look at us and say, do you realize what this means? What I was denied is available to you, that you can know God personally without terror. that you can approach him without feeling ashamed or embarrassed of the gifts you bring. He doesn't care. Moses would look at us and say, where is your joy When you realize that he has come to be with us, where is your amazement at the fact that God loved you so much to send him? Why is this not the driving force of your life? That the very glance of the back eye, God, you get front and full and center and you get to live with him. God used to come as a pillar of smoke, as fire in the bushes. In Jesus, God chooses to show up as a baby. You know when your doorbell rings, you peek out the window to see who's there? If it's a pillar of smoke or like a burning bush, I would suggest you not open the door. But if it's a baby, what do you do? If it's just a baby laying on your front porch, what do you do? You open the door and grab the baby. Who left this baby here? Why? There's nothing more accessible, there's nothing more vulnerable, there's nothing more intimate than a baby. Jesus could have come as anything, and Jesus came as a baby. In order to say, I am approachable, I am vulnerable, I am intimate, I am with you. You can come to me. Jesus showed up to remove barriers, to invite you to connect with the God of the universe. He who was once dangerous was now safe. He was once distant, was now close. And as a result, you who were once dead can now be alive. This is the Christmas story. It's God with us. God with us. God with us which means there's something for us to do. If we're truly going to experience the presence of God this season, there are some things we have to recognize and some responsibility that rests on the us portion of that. Because Christmas shines a light back on Jesus every year. And it begs a response. If your response is lukewarm, if you're just going through the motions, okay, Jesus came, I get it. I would say that's totally irrational. If you actually believe this, that Jesus was God with us and your response to the annual reminder and the reckoning of this reality, if your response to that is "Uh, Christmas, I would say that is a totally irrational response. Because if Jesus was a liar, you ignore. If Jesus was a lunatic, you walk away. But if Jesus was God, your response can't be to shrug. He won't allow it. Because that means that either the gospel hasn't taken hold in your life or you have not understood your need or his supply. I feel lukewarm about dogs that wear jackets, parallel parking, and Thanksgiving turkey. Eh, take it or leave it. When I have to consider that I was a sinner, that was dead in my trespasses, that I was lost. And that Jesus came for me, for you, for all of us, and gave his life for me on the cross that I might be reunited with my creator when I consider that concept. That I have the Holy Spirit to guide my days and lead me to the purpose and the meaning of my very existence. If that's real, I can't go, uh, okay, I can't be lukewarm about that. I, I, can't, I can't simply shrug and move on with that. I has to do something in me. And so I challenge you that there's two real applications to this God with us in this season. First one is remove the limitations you have placed upon God. Some of us have not because we ask not. James chapter 4, we have not because we ask not. You want intimacy with Jesus? You have not because you ask not. You want awe and wonder in this season and not for it to just feel like another consumeristic trip through the Americas? You have not because you ask not. You want your personal trials or struggles resolved or revealed to you as to why they're here? Maybe you have not because you ask not. If the God that created the universe came down in human form in Bethlehem, and that is what the season is all about, and then he lived a perfect life and he died for you and rose from the grave, do you think he is capable of responding to your needs today? If the answer is yes, then we have to remove the limitations that we have placed upon him. God made the first move from creation to redemption, and all we have to do is join in. So it's one thing to open the door and acknowledge Jesus. It's another thing to invite him and his power into your life. So if you want that, you have to ask for that. You have to plead for that. You fall on your knees for that. You go, I want that. Remove the limitations. The second thing that I would challenge us all to do is to invite nearness in this season. Christmas is about getting near with others. It's about family and friends. Ultimately, it's about God becoming a man to be near to us, to know us. So what is holding you back from intimacy with God? Is it busyness? Is it a heart issue? Something that's not been confessed? Is it doubt? We must prepare him room Mary and Joseph go and they are looking for a place to sleep and they go to the inn and what is the inn? The inn is full. There's no room. And you and I, we live in this world where there is no shortage of things to fill up the inn of our hearts. And when the time comes, when Jesus is standing, knocking at the door, going, I'm here to be near you. That's what this whole thing is about. What's upon us to do is to ask the question as to whether we've prepared the room already or whether we filled it up with so much stuff and so much busyness and so much other junk that when he's knocking at the door of our heart, we go, no room. Why don't I feel close to God anymore? I've given all my room to something else. Ideas and concepts aren't intimate, but relationship is. And so if Jesus has been fading into an idea or a concept in your life, The challenge is to invite nearness back in, invite relationship back in, invite him in daily. Because this year you're either going to say, Christmas really snuck up on me again, because that's what people say. Or, in the quiet of your own soul, you will have the profound joy and intimacy with the God who came to meet us in our greatest moment of need. But the choice is really with us because God's done his part. We will be experiencing God with us this month if we choose to do so. We want to be a help to that. actually have a tool for you. There's a devotional that John Piper wrote. It's up on the screen. It'll go out in an email this week. You'll get that in midweek. It'll be on Facebook. There'll be a link to it. There's a free PDF so your family, that you yourself, you with your family, you with kids, you with whoever, can say, I need a daily rhythmic reminder God is with us. We want to help with that. We want to make that available to you. Ultimately, what I want to do is challenge you, remove the limitations and then invite his nearness because he has come to be with us. And this is the season we get to experience it most clearly. We get to lean back in most beautifully. And so that is what there is for us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have come to us. That should slow us down. That should uh, quiet our souls to recognize that you loved us enough that you came to us. Lord, there are so many systems designed for us to take steps to you, but you alone chose to come to us. I pray that you would sink that reality deep into our souls. Lord, you would remove from us the apathy that comes with yet another Christmas and you would reignite the flame of passion in our hearts for who you are. Lord, may we dig in, remove the limitations that we've placed on you. And Father, I pray that each and every person here this Christmas season would experience great nearness with you as we invite you in daily. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. We pray in your son's name. Amen.